Well, good morning, everybody. We are still in our series in Romans, um, not ashamed of good news. We've been going through this series uh, for a number of weeks, pretty much all fall. We'll wrap up here at the end of the year and then begin uh, another series. Our theme verse for the, for the book is what Paul says. He says that I am not ashamed of the gospel because it is God's power for salvation to everyone who believes, first to the Jew and then to the Greek or to those that aren't Jewish. For in it, God's righteousness is revealed from faith to faith. In other words, God's saying, I want to show you what, what it looks like to be right with me, to have a right relationship with me, and how it goes from faith to faith, from the Old Testament to the New Testament, all the way until the end. And then he says, just as, just as it is written, the righteous will live by faith. In other words, it's this idea that we're going to live by placing our trust, our faith, in the person of God, who he is, his character, what he has said. That, that's what faith is. It's not placing our faith in something and saying, well, I hope it works out. Last week we looked at hope. We'll look at that again this week about this idea of hope. And then this week where our joy and peace comes from in the midst of that hope. And that's this week. Not ashamed of joy and peace. You see those two words everywhere right now. If you go to Walmart, if you go to Target, if you drive down the road, you see People that have joy and peace written all over the place in the midst of a world that quite honestly doesn't have a lot of joy and peace around us. And definitely, maybe we do have some here, but in some places of the world, they have very little. I'm actually reading a book right now that talks about this uh, from a pastor who traveled to the Himalayan mountains. And it's a story about as he went through the Himalayan mountains and saw what he saw and experienced what he experienced, both physically in his body, being that at, at, at that altitude and that cold and walking, and then also what he experienced and saw as he um, saw the people and the tragedy and the common illnesses that we just go to the doctor and get fixed that kill them because they don't have medicine and they don't have the things they need and their government doesn't care about them at all. And just him coming to the reality of is God really who he says he is? Is the Bible really true? These people didn't do anything necessarily on the surface to deserve what they have. And he said, and I don't deserve to have what I have. And he wrestled with that. And he had to come down to a place where he said, do I find my joy and peace in the circumstances that I find myself in? Or do I find them in the character of God regardless of the circumstances that we find ourselves in? I'm only about halfway through the book or a third of the way through the book, so I can't tell you how it ends yet. So, but anyway, that, that's one of the books I'm reading, and he's on a missionary trip trying to tell people that have never heard the name of Jesus about the joy of a relationship with God and the peace of a relationship with him, and all the while watching them live in a literal living hell all around them and wondering himself, like, do I really believe this? Because if I do, then it changes everything, and it changes my outlook on life, and you know, it's a discipline to have joy and peace. It's, it's not easy. Our world attacks our joy and peace all the time. We try to find temporary joy and peace all the time in the world around us. We find something that will give us a fix, a quick feeling of joy or I'm okay. And then that passes away or it disappears, right? You get hungry again. You, the buzz wears off. The, the relationship eventually ends because of whatever reasons and then you're left with now what? What's my fix? What do I go to do to find this joy and peace that seems so fleeting? And we love to talk about it at this time of year. We love to say, yeah, joy and peace to the world. 
And that's not wrong. That's what God says, but God says that it's found in him. And that's what Paul is saying as he wraps up Romans, as he's gone through one of the most in-depth theological books of the Bible and definitely of the New Testament. I would argue Hebrews and Romans are two incredibly deep theologically, uh, theological books. As he's wrapping it up, he's coming back around to, in the midst of all I just dumped on you, you've got to remember hope, joy, and peace. It's about a joy and a peace that lasts through the mess that we find ourselves in, and we have to pursue that. He says in Romans 15, again, it says, he's talking about the Old Testament, the, the scriptures. Again, Paul quotes scripture. I love that. He doesn't just say, this is what I think. This is what God said. This is who he is. He says, again, the, the scripture, it says, rejoice, you Gentiles, with his people. And again, praise the Lord, all you Gentiles. All the people should praise him. Remember, Gentiles just mean people who aren't Jewish, who weren't given the Old Testament covenant. There were Gentiles in the Old Testament that chose to become Jewish. They were adopted into the family. There in the temple was the, the Gentile court that was outside the inner court of the Jews. And the Gentiles couldn't enter that court, but they could still worship God and still participate in worship on the outer court. They knew their place and God had a place for them. And he said someday he would bring all the peoples together. But right now there's a, there's a feeling of separation. And what Paul is saying is that that God has broken through in the person of Jesus this separation. That God is bringing the nations to himself. He's finally bringing together what he asked the Jews to do in the Old Testament. But as we'll see in a minute, they were unwilling to do. And then it says, again, Isaiah says, the Bible says, Paul, the root of Jesse will appear. The one who rises to rule the Gentiles and the Gentiles will hope in him. We looked at this last week as we wrapped up the section on hope. And what he says is like Isaiah prophesied that this root of Jesse, this, this little bitty root was going to spring up and was going to take over. And that's what we celebrate at this time of year. It's Christmas. It's God coming in the form of man through the line of David. He was born of the line of David. That's where his parents were from, his mother and so he was born as a descendant of David, a descendant of not just David, but Jesse. And I think it's interesting that Paul uses Jesse here and not David. He says a root of Jesse. That, that, that it's not about David and the king. It's about Jesse, who was just the, the guy that lived his life and raised up some sons. And all of a sudden, one day, a prophet showed up and anointed his son king. Oh, and it was the son that was out in the field, not the ones he paraded before the prophet Samuel. The ones he paraded before the prophet Samuel, Samuel's like, no, that's not the one. No, that's not the one. Do you have any more sons? Yeah, my son David, he's out in the field. Yeah, bring that guy in. Yep, that's the one. Have a nice day. I anoint him. And then he left. <laughs> like, so he says that route that, that, that God had planned all along, this plan that he has, he's going to appear and he's going to rise to rule the Gentiles, notice it doesn't say he's going to rise to rule the Jews. The Jews end up rejecting him. His own people reject him. He rises up and it's the Gentiles that find him and find their hope in him. Were there Jewish believers? Yes, absolutely. The early church was full of a lot of Jewish believers. But the majority of persecution in the very early church came from his own people. And it says the Gentiles will hope in him. In other words, 
We were people without any hope, just like this guy going to the Himalayan mountains and seeing these people and realizing that he could provide all their needs, medical treatment, water, and whatever else it was, but in the end, when they stand before God, they have no hope. And it's the same for us, and when we realize that and we come to know him, it changes everything about our life, and it changes where we find our peace and our joy. The, the way the Gentiles found their peace and joy, they no longer find it in those things. They actually find it in the things God wanted his people to find their peace and joy in, which was his word, his presence, who he was, his character. They leave behind those things, and they cling to these things. See, he goes on to say in verse 13, now may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you believe in him. So even Paul answers for us, he says, if you want to know where the source of joy and peace and hope come from, it's not going to come from the world around you. It's not going to come from the job you have, the income you have, the relationships you have. That's not necessarily, will those things add or detract? They can. They can be a distraction or they can be things that help us draw close to God. But he says, the joy and peace will come only as we believe in him. And Paul just got done quoting scripture, which means believe in him as he's revealed himself in the scriptures. That's what Paul is saying. And you know, if you're honest and I'm honest, so often we let our circumstances dictate our joy and our peace, not where we're found in our relationship with him, that he says that if we know him, that we have his grace, that we've been covered, that our sins have been forgiven. He tells us that we have the power, which we'll see in a moment, to walk with him. He says that if we're filled with joy and peace, hope will flow out of us. And if we're filled with hope, joy and peace will flow out of us. And isn't this the struggle of our life? This is the struggle that you read about in the Bible. You find the Psalms, you find Job, you find Moses, you find our heroes of the Bible struggling between this reality of the circumstances they're in and the hope and the joy and the peace that God says he's going to bring them. And they have to place their faith in what God has said, not in what the circumstances are that they've created for themselves or that have been created for them. This time of year, it's amazing to me because when Jesus came into the world, what Paul's talking about here was actually fulfilled. Look at this, in Matthew 2, the part of the nativity story, it says this, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, in the days of King Herod, wise men from the east arrived unexpectedly in Jerusalem, saying, where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star in the east and have come to worship him. When, the king, when king Herod heard this, he was deeply disturbed and all Jerusalem with him. So he assembled all the chief priests and scribes of the people and asked them where the Messiah would be born. Few quick facts. This does not say there were three, we three kings. Nowhere in the Bible does it say there were three dudes dressed up like kings that showed up the day that... Also, we'll see in a moment, they, they probably didn't show up when Jesus was born. It was later. And we'll see that in a second. And these kings show up and they're Gentiles. You want to know why I know that? Because they don't say, where is our king? They say, where is the king of the Jews? If they were Jewish, they would have said, where is our king? Where's our Jewish king? We came to worship him. Instead, they recognize that they are Gentiles looking for the promise of Scripture, which means these guys knew the Bible. They knew the word of God. Not fully, because they didn't understand where he'd be born, where we see in a minute, but these guys were open to the fact and understood that this king that was coming was the promised king. 
These Gentiles were traveling. They would have been traveling for months and months, maybe even years in a caravan. When they showed up at Jerusalem, it would have been noticeable that some kings were showing up. They were carrying very valuable gifts, which means they probably had some personnel with them to protect them and protect those gifts. Because you could be robbed on the road very easily in those days. So you wouldn't go travel to see a king and hope for the best. You would prepare to see a king. And so these guys are traveling and they're looking and they think they've seen this star. We had the alignment of Saturn and Jupiter this week and everybody's freaking out about it, right? Like, great. I, I don't, these guys were following this star and it stopped and they come to Jerusalem. Why? Because Jerusalem was the place of the temple. Jerusalem was the place where they thought, well, the king will be here. And then the king stopped there. And so they went in and Where's the king of the Jews? So God actually led these Gentile wise men to Jerusalem to declare to his own people that their Messiah had showed up. Think about that for a minute. God led wise men who didn't know anything, that didn't didn't come to the temple. He led them to come because his own people couldn't find the joy and peace in their own Messiah. We had some shepherds that came in that we looked at a couple of, that that came in and worshipped him from the fields around Bethlehem. Other than that, he's born in obscurity. These men were unashamed to give their lives, to travel, to find this Savior. They were longing for something. They had not settled for what their idols and the religions of their day were. They were looking for this king. Where is that in our day? I see so many Christians that, myself included sometimes, I don't, I'm not looking for the Messiah to come again. I'm not looking for him. I'm, I'm just kind of going through life, going through the motions, and well, we got church, we got the temple, things are going okay, you know, we got our religious laws, and we're doing all right. And where's the longing for him to come, the root of Jesse? These guys got it, and God's own people missed it. It goes on, it says, after hearing the king, they went on their way. So they listened to King Herod, and then they went on their way. And before this, remember, Jerusalem's in an uproar. They're like, what, there's been a king born? Herod would have been really worried that a king was born, because Romans didn't like their authority to be messed with, because they were afraid of the peace of the Roman kingdom. They wanted Pax Romana, a Roman control that gave a basic level of peace so that they could keep the thing together. And anytime that peace was challenged, they squashed it. Anytime. They militarily, they squashed it. Same thing here. They come in and everybody's concerned because they're like, "Uh uh-oh, a king's been born. We want to find out where he's at. What line is he from? We got to go get him. And it says, "And and there it was, a star they had seen in the east. It led them until it came and stopped above the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed. Beyond measure. God's own people don't even know he exists. And these men are overwhelmed. They are overjoyed with finding what they've been looking for all their lives. What all of their wisdom has been building up to is this moment. And it says, and we know this because look at how it goes on. It says, Entering the house, they saw the child with Mary and his mother, and falling on their knees, they worshipped him. 
I, I think it's interesting. It doesn't say Joseph was there. <laughs> was he there? I don't know. It just points out Mary. It just, like Joseph's mentioned like in the beginning and then it's like, where'd he go? Like we never hear about him again. Like they come in and they're like, there's the child with mom. I don't know where dad is. He must be out at work. That's fine. We'll worship anyway. Like these men come in and they don't question. They're not like, well, is he really? Like tell us a little bit about your background, Mary. We need to ask. We need... They're like, this is it. And they fall down. I mean, can you imagine? Mary's just hanging out. Most scholars believe Jesus is probably about 18 months old or somewhere around there at this time. He's about 18 months old. You've you've been living in Bethlehem. God hasn't told you to move back to where to go next. You just know God told you to come to Bethlehem. So you've been waiting here for 18 months, not really knowing what to do because you were supposed to come here to do a census. Census is probably over, but you had to find work anyway. So you're kind of stuck here going, okay, now what? Then all of a sudden, out of nowhere, after 18 months, after the first couple of weeks, there's a lot that happens in the story. And then for about 16 months, it's like, well, now what? And then these guys show up. This entourage shows up in Bethlehem. Everybody would have seen. It was like, they show up, and all of a sudden, you get a knock on the door, and you open, like, we're here to worship your son. And you're like, it's been 16 months, and no one's come here to worship my son. Who are you? His own people don't even come here to worship him. And they're like, oh, well, we do. And they come in and they have, it says, then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. These were priceless treasures of, the, of this age, priceless spices and perfume and gold itself. I mean, these guys had prepared to come and worship. This wasn't like, hey, let's go see if we can find the king. Oh, there he is. Hey, yeah, well, we worship you. Okay, have a nice week. And then we, These guys are overwhelmed and they've been planning for this moment. They have brought their treasures. They've laid it at their feet and they're like, this is the most amazing moment of our lives. And being warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their own country by another route. And these guys listen to God when he speaks. We know they listened to the scriptures because they knew he was the king of the Jews We know that they, and now God appears to them and says, hey, I need you to not go back to King Herod. I need you to go a different direction. So they're like, okay. That would have been scary. They didn't have GPS in that day. It wasn't like you Googled it and, oh, I'll just go this way since the road's closed. That's not how it worked in these days. It would have been probably dangerous to take another route they were not familiar with. So this would have been an act of faith to take a different route. And sometimes God asks us to take a different route than the joy and the peace we know, doesn't he? That we have a joy and a peace. This is what we want. This is going to make me happy. This is what we're going to do. And God says, yeah, we're going to go this way. And our response to that is really critical. Do we get mad and angry and how dare you and I deserve and I've worked hard and I know that route and I prepared? Or do we say, okay, God, it's your call. We'll, We'll follow these guys were believing scientists of their day. They were, they were unashamed to fall on their face before this 18-month-old baby without any evidence. Just, this has got to be him. Like, it's amazing how childlike faith they have. Like, children bringing the gift they got at the Santa exchange at school and being like, I got this for, like, these are gifts that, like, They would have showed up in this house and looked around and been like, this is kingly dwelling? Wow. Remember where Jesus was born? He was born in a manger, and now they're at this house. Whose house? We don't know. 
goes on and the, the story turns pretty not joy and peace. Then Herod, when he saw that he had been outwitted by the wise men, okay, that statement's funny. I mean, read that for a second. You've been outwitted by wise men. <laughs> I think that's hilarious. Okay, of course you were. You're not wise. They are. They outwitted you. So then he flew into a rage. And isn't this what happens? This is what happens in my life. That you can tell when you don't have God's joy and peace because the anger and the rage starts to well up, well up within you. And it's not like righteous anger. Like people are hurting other people. No, no, no. Like I didn't get my way. I didn't get what I wanted. It didn't work out the way I wanted. And he goes on and he says, he gave orders to massacre all the male children in and around Bethlehem who were two years old and under in keeping with the time he had learned from the wise men. Can you imagine finding that out if you were one of the wise men? We outed the king we didn't know. And our actions led to the slaughter of innocent children of an entire city. God, what are you doing? This is not joy and peace. How could you let this happen? If you're Mary and Joseph, and you came to Bethlehem to be registered because that's where your family were from, and now all the other babies two and under that are your family members are slaughtered. Joseph and Mary flee. God tells them in the middle of the night, flee to Egypt. Now, the gifts that were given to them were the provision for them to flee to Egypt so they would have the finances to live in Egypt, flee there and live there because they had to fulfill the Old Testament prophecy that said, I will call you out of Egypt. And this is how God led them. Through this tragedy, the joy and the peace that we talk about at Christmas, when you read the story, it doesn't seem very joyful or peaceful. It seems awful. But see, that's the story of the Bible. It's the story of a world we live in that does nothing but want to kill God, want to kill his authority, want to kill his right to rule so that we can have our way, so that I can have my way. And God's saying, this is how it works. So they flee to Egypt, then God says, now I want you to go back to Nazareth because the scriptures also say that he will be a Nazarene. So all the time, God is fulfilling his word, his scriptures, while the enemy is trying to destroy the joy and the peace that has come into the world. And God keeps spinning it around for his good, keeps spinning it around to prove that everything he said in the Old Testament, you can find joy and hope and peace in, every bit of it. And these are Gentile men. And Paul is writing and he's saying those same things about the Gentiles. Now may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace. And then he says, as you believe in him so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. I love when he says the power of the Holy Spirit. What is the power of the Holy Spirit? The power of the Holy Spirit is what wrote the word of God. Whenever we think of the power of the Holy Spirit, it always amazes me. The first thing we run to is the idea of tongues every time. Holy Spirit equals tongues. That's the power of the Holy Spirit. Or we run to healings. Power of the Holy Spirit means they heal people. Do you realize that the power of the Holy Spirit is what allows you to obey God at all? That the power of the Holy Spirit is what even allows you to believe the scriptures? 
that the power of the Holy Spirit is even what brought you here today because you probably wanted to stay in bed and it probably would have brought you more temporary joy and peace to sleep in your bed and stay in a warm bed than to come in a cold gym. Just being honest. Don't, I know some of you thought about that. I guarantee it. I guarantee you guys sat there and were like, it's a Zoom. We could Zoom in our beds with the warm blanket on. It counts now. Like, And here you've got these wise men, that, 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 these Gentiles that travel that I'm just trying to find what's true in this world and we think we found it. And then he says the power of the Holy Spirit when it comes in you, you're going to be someone that overflows with hope. Most of the stuff I see on social media from Christians is not overflowing with hope right now. I haven't posted much because I'm struggling with my hope a lot of times. But I'm smart enough not to put it out to be miserable. Everybody be miserable with me. No. By faith, we place our hope in him and it's the Holy Spirit. Guys, it is a miracle you even know Jesus. It's a miracle that God's allowed you to be in adopted into his family it's a miracle you can even read it's a miracle you can have the bible in your own language and there were people that died so you could have it it is a miracle how God's preserved his word through the power of the holy spirit working in the world these are the most amazing miraculous miracles that should bring us incredible joy and incredible hope and incredible peace and instead we're constantly looking at circumstances all the time I'm not saying we shouldn't look at circumstances. They do reveal things about our lives and the world we live in, and we need to ask and take them to God, which he asks us to do, to present our requests to him, present what our struggles are. He wants a relationship. But he also says, I've given you the Holy Spirit as your down payment. It's the thing that's going to keep you connected to me, and you'll know when you're walking in the power of the Holy Spirit when you have hope, when you have joy and when you have peace that isn't about the things around you, the relationships around you and the stuff you're chasing, but it's about, it says right here, believe in him. All joy and peace as you believe in him. It's about believing in him. That's where these Gentile wise men found their joy and their peace. And then it says, my brothers, I myself am convinced about you that you also are full of goodness filled with all knowledge and able to instruct one another. In other words, Paul says, I know that there are those of you that are there that have the Holy Spirit, and here's why I know. He doesn't say because you speak in tongues, because you do healings, because you can make mountains move. No, he says, I know that there are many of you filled with the Spirit because I see that you're full of obedience, doing the good things God asks you to do. That's evidence of the Holy Spirit. Then he says, filled with all knowledge. I see that you're filled with the Holy Spirit because the knowledge that you have is coming from God's word and he's filling you up with his word and it's like, wow, this, I'm learning. Do we all learn at different speeds and paces? Absolutely. But still that desire. And then he says, able to instruct one another. That's really the test, isn't it? Of I've got the Holy Spirit. Is my willingness to say, I so have confidence in God and believe in his hope and his joy in my, and peace in my life that I have to tell other people. These Gentile wise men had to tell others, even though it cost all these little children their lives. They couldn't not go in to Herod and say, We've, we're looking for him. We've got to tell everybody. Where's he at? They probably didn't go back to their nations and be like, yeah, we found this kid and his mom and they, we gave him some presents and left. It was nice. Okay, let's get back to doing our business. They probably went back to their nations and were like, we found the king of the Jews. It was amazing. It was real. You say, yeah, but there was a star they were, they were following. 
right, everybody else had the ability to see the same star. It was a star moving. Only they were willing to allow the Holy Spirit to work on their heart to see it. Everyone else ignored it. And that's the same with us. It, that's what Paul's writing. He's like, you've got to not be ashamed. And then he, he goes on and he says this. Nevertheless, so he says, I, I know that there's some good, there's some knowledge, there's these things, but nevertheless, I've written to remind you more boldly instead of shame, boldness, on some points because of the grace given to me by God. In other words, he pulls it back to God's grace. The reason I'm writing this is to not get you to obey. It's to get you to see how great the grace of God is in your life through the power of the Holy Spirit, so then you'll be obedient. Then your heart will be surrendered. And then he goes on and he says, given me by God. In other words, this grace isn't something that I earned. It's not, it was given to me through the Holy Spirit, through God. And then he says, to be a minister of Christ Jesus to the Gentiles. That means the Messiah who is Yahweh saves to the Gentiles. That would have seemed really strange, right? So wait, it, so you're, you're a messenger about the Yahweh who saves of the Old Testament to Gentiles who don't believe in the Old Testament. Yep, that's me. Then he goes on and he says, serving as a priest of God's gospel or good news. My purpose is that the offering of the Gentiles may be acceptable, sanctified by the Holy Spirit. In other words, set apart, made perfect, made pure, made beautiful by the Holy Spirit. In other words, Paul's saying, it's not me telling you to be, be obedient. It's not me telling you to do this and you do it and you do it. And then I say, well, you're at this level and you're at this level. He says, no, I want them to be obedient so that they understand how holy God is and that relationship just grows closer. He's like, that's my whole mission. He goes on and he says, therefore, I have reason to boast in Christ Jesus regarding what pertains to God. In other words, man, I have some reason to not be ashamed, but talk about what God's done. For I would not dare say anything except what Christ has accomplished. Underline that in your Bible. We spend a lot of time talking about things that Christ hasn't accomplished. We spend a lot of time putting God's name on things that he didn't accomplish necessarily. Slapping God's name on things that are actually evil. And saying that God's changed. He changed his mind. He's, he's become different. He's grown up. He was a kid, now he's grown up, and now he's... He's realized how stupid he was back in the Old Testament. Now he's smarter. That, that's what we've done. And he goes on and he says, through me to make the Gentiles, look what he says, obedient by word and deed. He says these Gentiles will believe the word and they'll want to do what it says because they understand who God is now and they love him and they're surrendered to him. And God promised in the Old Testament what he would do would be to raise up the Gentile nations to embarrass his people because his people wouldn't respond like these people were. Then he says, look at verse 19, by the power of miraculous signs and wonders and by the power of God's spirit, as a result, I have fully proclaimed the good news about the Messiah from Jerusalem. Remember where the wise men came to Jerusalem? All around to Il oh, I'm going to pronounce this wrong. Illyricium. Dang it. Okay. 
So all around, I had it written down and it's not, I don't see it. So he went around everywhere God told him. He says, I've proclaimed the good news. This is good news. It's hope. It's joy. It's peace. Yeah, but all these babies got murdered. Yeah, because we're evil. We live in an awful world. That's why God had to come, because we're that evil. We'll kill anybody that stands up to us. Goes on, and he says, I fully proclaim. You see, our problem is, and it's what it says here, by the power of miraculous signs, we don't recognize miracles. We keep looking for them. And Jesus said, it's a wicked and adulterous generation that looks for a sign. They want some kind of special sign that demands that God do something more than all he's already done to prove himself. He says, when you get to that place, you can know you're, you're heading towards a place that like, yeah, be careful. And he looks and he says, I've proclaimed all of this. Look at what Joshua says. Joshua 4, as the people of God are going into the promised land, it says this. The reason God says he lays out everything he's done, okay, tells them all the miracles, all the Old Testament, Abraham, Moses, everything I've done, Joshua, everything I've done for you people getting ready to go into the promised land, into the heaven on earth, so to speak, all of it is so that all the people of the earth may know that the Lord's hand is mighty and so that you may always fear the Lord your God. It doesn't say anything about so you'll be great, so you'll be awesome, so you'll have peace and joy in the land you live in all the time. No, he says... The reason I'm doing this, the reason I am working, even though you guys are idiots, you keep rebelling, you made a golden calf, you you do all this evil, the reason I keep coming back to you is because I need the world to see how full of love and grace and justice and holiness I am, and I'm going to do it through you. Even if you don't want it done through you, I'm doing it. And he says to Joshua, and the reason is I'm hoping that there will be those that will fear me. And we saw two of those last week in Simeon and Anna in the temple. John the Baptist and his parents who, who had fear of God. There were people who, who had this fear. And it's not a fear of like, I'm afraid of God. It's a fear of like, wow, he's awesome. He's holy. I worship him. He's worthy of my gold, my frankincense, my myrrh. He's worthy of my time to travel and go. He's worthy of everything because he is the king goes on in Romans and says this. Paul says, my aim is to evangelize where Christ has not been named so that I will not build on someone else's foundation. But as it is written, those who are not told about him will see and those who have not heard will understand. That is why I have been prevented many times from coming to you. Let me ask you, what is your aim? What are you aiming at? Because if you're aiming at the wrong thing, you'll never hit the right target. What is your aim? See, we get sidetracked. I can get sidetracked so often, and it's so subtle. It's not like I'm aiming at something evil. I'm just aiming at something a little bit less. Is our aim really the relationship? We watched a movie last night, an old movie, 1993. That's old to you youngins. Anyway, that's like when I was in high school. So we watched a movie about searching for Bobby Fischer last night. It's about a chess player, Bobby Fischer, one of the greatest in the world. It's about this little boy. It's a true story, actually, a TV true story, movie true story. And and this little boy that's raised up to play chess, and he's like Bobby Fischer. And the the story tracks kind of their similarities. But but what ends up happening is everybody around this little boy is pushing him to be the best, to to be cutthroat, to go after it, to to be like Bobby Fischer. And in the end, the little boy's like, "I'm I'm not him. 
boy's like eight years old. And this boy has incredible compassion and empathy for the competitors and the other people around him. Like, like that's just who he is. And at the end of the last scene, the little boy is sitting across the table from the boy that he's been scared of and, and is now competing against. And in his mind, he, see, he sees 12 moves forward and figures out the boy is beat 12 moves ahead. And instead of being elated and I'm going to get him, the little boy offers him a draw. He says, I'll offer you a draw. And the kid looks at him and goes, the game's not over yet. There's, there's still time to play. He goes, no, it's over. I'm offering you a draw. And the boy in his arrogance looks at him and says, move. Okay. And in 12 moves, he beats him. It's not that we lose. It's, it's, it's this idea of where do we find our joy and peace. The one boy found everything in winning. The other boys just loved the game. He found it in the relationships that he had. And when everybody was pushing him to be the best, he just wanted to hang out with his friends. And at the end of the movie, he's walking with one of his friends that lost, whose dad was really hard on him for losing. And he puts his arm around him and he says, you know, you're a lot better than I was at your age. And they're like six months apart. Like it's hilarious. Like he's still encouraging Still giving hope and peace to this. Like, that's what Paul's writing about. And then, get this. Do you find joy and peace when you're prevented from going where you want to go and getting what you want to get? Because Paul is saying, I've been prevented so that I can meet the joy and peace and the aim I have. I understand that the reason I keep being prevented from getting what I want is it's not good for me. And it's not good for the kingdom and it's not good for the gospel. So when I don't get what I want, I don't go, I go, okay, what do you want then? See, that was Paul's mentality. He goes on and he says, but now I no longer have any work to do in these provinces. He wasn't saying everybody was saved. He was saying, I'm trying to go and reach and touch as many people as I have, put a church there and then plant another church. That was Paul's call. Other people were called to other things. Paul was called to that. And it says, and I have strongly desired for many years to come to you whenever I travel to Spain. Paul says for years he has wanted to come visit this Roman church. And every time he wants to, every time he travels by, God says, can't go. Shuts the door. Every time. And then it goes on and it says, whenever I travel, for I hope to see you when I pass through and to be assisted by you for my journey there once I have first enjoyed your company for a while. Right now, I'm traveling to Jerusalem to serve the saints. Remember, the temple was still in Jerusalem at this time. The church was still traveling to Jerusalem to celebrate together. Even in the feast, they would travel to Jerusalem and do the, like, there was still this, we believe the Old Testament. Jesus is going to come back to Jerusalem. He's going to reign in the temple. And they were actually living that out. And then in 70 A.D., Jesus said this would happen. The temple got torn down and they realized, oh, maybe that's what Jesus wasn't telling us to stay in Jerusalem and call everybody back here. It goes on, it says, right now I'm traveling and then he says to serve the saints for Macedonia and Acacia were pleased. They were overjoyed. They were pleased to make a contribution for the poor among the saints in Jerusalem. Yes, they were pleased and indeed are indebted to them. He goes on and he says this, For if the Gentiles have shared in their spiritual benefits, then they are obligated to minister to the Jews in material needs. So when I have finished this and safely delivered the funds to them, I will visit you on the way to Spain. 
Paul doesn't not make a plan. He makes a plan. He says, now this is my plan, but just remember, God stops me all the time. (laughs) He, He adjusts my plan. And he looks at them and he says, these Gentiles are so believing in the Old Testament, they are actually supporting and sending their contributions back to the temple in Jerusalem like they're supposed to, like the Old Testament demands and commands. So that the widows like Anna that live in the temple can be taken care of. All the while, the people that call themselves God's people are cheating him. They still have the weights and measures in the temple that are a cheating scheme that Jesus turned over tables twice to throw them out. Now they're back in there. So they're still participating in this broken system. They're still participating and saying, we're going to do the best with what we can to try to obey all we can, not because we're trying to get something, but because we understand as Gentiles, we have everything, we don't deserve any of it, and we just want to share. Wow! That's incredible. They understand that when God said, whoever blesses Abraham I'll bless you. They believe that verse in the Old Testament. It's like, well, then we'll bless. And Paul is saying, this is a good thing to do. Paul is actually taking the gifts himself to make sure they get delivered, to make sure that everything is done the right way. Like, Paul is risking his life carrying all this money. Paul didn't have a military entourage traveling with him. He had to just trust God with all of it. Goes on, it says, this is what Abraham God said to Abram, the Lord said to Abram, go out from your land, your relatives and your father's house to the land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation. I will bless you. I'll make you your name great and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you. I will curse those you treat with contempt and all the peoples of the earth will be blessed through you. So Abraham went as the Lord told him. Abraham was 75 years old. Can you imagine picking up and moving at 75? Then he says, he took his wife, his nephew, all the possessions and all the people. He invited others to come with him on the journey to find God. And they set out for the land of Canaan. Romans 15 says, I know that when I come to you, I will come in the fullness of the blessing of Christ. Paul says a declaration here. This is actually, some scholars believe, a prophetic statement. That Paul says that that when I come to you, he's saying, I will come to you. And I will come in the fullness of the blessing of Christ. Do you want to know how Paul ends up coming to Rome? He takes the offering to Jerusalem. In Jerusalem, you can read this, I think it's Acts 21 is where this takes place. Yeah, it's Acts 21. In Acts 21, you can read the story of what happens. In Jerusalem, there's a crowd, and Paul is put in prison, and he's put in a Roman prison. And he's sent to Rome. It's where he writes the book of Philippians, some of the other letters. See, Paul got to come to to Rome, just like he said, in the fullness of God's blessing. Because here's what Paul said about blessing, look. And not only that, he says in Romans 5, but we also rejoice in our afflictions because we know that affliction produces endurance, endurance produces character, and proven character produces Hope. This hope will not disappoint us because God's love has been poured out in our hearts through the Holy Spirit who was given to us. See, Paul finds it a blessing to suffer along with Christ. Psalm 119, the psalmist says this, Lord, you have treated your servant well just as you promised. 
Before I was afflicted, I went astray, but now I keep your word. You are good, and you do what is good. Teach me your statutes. Their hearts are hard and insensitive, but I delight in your instruction. It was good for me to be afflicted so that I could learn your statutes. Instruction from your lips is better for me than than thousands of gold and silver pieces. I know, Lord, that your judgments are just and that you've afflicted me fairly. Jesus said this, if the world hates you, understand it hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. However, because you're not of the world, but I have chosen you out of it, the world hates you. Remember the word I spoke to you, a slave is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they kept my word, they would also keep yours. But they will do all these things to you on account of my name because they don't know the one who sent me. See, Herod didn't know the one who sent the Messiah, so he went in and he murdered all the children. The wise men understood who sent them and who they were going to see. And they were willing to endure whatever it took to go through that process to fulfill what God said about the Gentiles in the Old Testament. Paul, from jail in Rome, in the fullness of his blessing, writes these words to the Philippian church. For me, living is Christ, and dying is gain. For it has been given to you on Christ's behalf, not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for him, having the same struggle that you saw I had, and now hear that I have. See, our problem is we just don't like what the Bible says. I don't like it. I want a different outcome than what the Bible presents. Now, are we supposed to go around trying to be hated? No, we talked about this a few weeks ago. That's not our goal is to try. We're supposed to live at peace with people as much as it's possible, Paul says. But there comes a point where you've done nothing. The wise men did nothing. They just showed up and said, hey, the king of the Jews has been born. And then all craziness breaks out and people are, kids are dying and They were looking to bring peace, peace on earth, goodwill towards men, God's on whom God's favor rests. Like, that's what they were looking to bring. And instead, the world does exactly what Paul and John and the psalmist and Jesus himself said it would do. See, Paul wrote from a Roman prison what his hope was and Paul was sitting. You don't think that Paul, after years and years of wanting to be in Rome, years and years of wanting to visit the church in Rome, years and years of hearing about them and not being able to see them, like you're a missionary on the field and you have a grandbaby in the United States and you can't get back and it's been years and years since you haven't even seen them. That's what Paul felt. They didn't have, you couldn't Zoom, you couldn't FaceTime and see your newborn. These were believers that came to faith because of the ministry of Paul. He wanted to go see them, and now he's there in jail under circumstances. He had to think to himself, well, God gave me what I wanted, so I'm going to find joy in it, and I'm going to find peace in it, and I'm going to find hope in it, and I'm going to write to all these churches so they can find joy and peace and hope. That's what I'm going to do, sitting in jail. Wow. And it gets worse. As we wrap up, this is what Paul asks. He asks this in Romans, the very end. He says, now, 
I appeal to you, brothers, through our Lord Jesus Christ and through the love of the Spirit. This sounds like the end of a wedding, doesn't it? (laughs) I appeal to you, right? Through the Lord Jesus Christ and through the love of the Spirit to join with me in fervent prayers. You know what fervent prayer means? It means like, like you are just going before God and asking. He says, to God on my behalf, pray that I may be rescued from the unbelievers in Judea. That the gift I'm bringing to Jerusalem may be acceptable to the saints and that by God's will I may come to you with joy and be refreshed together with you that the God of peace be with all of you. Amen. So not only is Paul sitting in prison wondering, struggling with God maybe a little bit, maybe not, maybe he just finds his hope and his peace in these scriptures that we read from the Psalms and the Gospels and everything else. But Paul specifically asked the church to pray that he would be rescued from the unbelievers in Judea and he finds himself in prison. But you know what he doesn't find himself? Dead. He finds himself alive to write us these letters. He was rescued. It's just the rescue didn't look like what he wanted. He found his joy and his peace in writing to the churches, in encouraging believers, in reaching out to them and telling them about their Savior. His prayer was answered, but not in the way that he probably thought and not in the way that we would think. See, that's where hope and joy and peace in what God really says and who he is really in Scripture causes us to avoid shame. We can ask these prayers and be unashamed of asking because in the end he's like, well, it didn't work out. I was delivered. I wasn't killed by the unbelievers and I was sent to prison. That was good. I got to write letters. I'm going to find my joy and peace in that. I'm going to consider that an answered prayer. Just like when someone prays for healing. They're a believer. They ask everyone else to pray for healing. They have faith that they'll be healed. And then they die. Where's the joy and peace? Where's the hope? Well, if you know your book, if you know the Bible, that's where all the hope and all the joy and peace is. Because they're with their Savior. What they should have been longing for all the time, for all their, their time is now happening in their life, just like these wise men who are now finally seeing their Messiah face to face. These Gentile wise men, while God's people around him didn't even know he was there. Can I just ask you, where do you find your joy and peace? Where do you find your hope? You find it in him, and if you do, then is your response like Paul's? That that you just have, you want to pour your life out to others so they can see the joy and the hope and the peace? You want to give your best to God because it's all his anyway? Like that's, That's what this lays out, and Paul is coming down to the end of Romans, and he's laying this out, and he's like, I know I taught you all of this, and you can do all these doctrines perfectly, and and you should do them. You should know these things, but at the end of the day, it's about what's happening inside of you with the relationship with God and what's happening with the people of God. Can I just encourage you? Jesus is saying to you and to me, the Holy Spirit is speaking to us saying, you can find your hope and your joy and your peace in me. 
regardless of what's going on around you, regardless of the death, regardless of the mess, regardless of the travels that get changed, regardless of the prison that you sit in, God says you, you can find your hope and your peace and your joy in a relationship and what I've done in my grace for you. Wow, that's an incredible message. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word this morning. Lord, I thank you that uh, Paul encourages us and his life and what you put him through is such an encouragement to us of what things really look like. I thank you for the, the message of your coming that we have in the scriptures with the shepherds and the angels and with these Gentile wise men coming. And I, I thank you for the picture of obedience that we see through that story. The obedience of Mary, the obedience of Joseph, the obedience of all these people that said, I want to do what you want me to do. And they followed the Holy Spirit in simplicity. Jesse just raised some boys, didn't know really what was going to happen, just raising some boys up to be faithful to their nation, to be faithful to their God, having no idea what was getting ready to come his way and the legacy that you were going to leave. Lord, that's what you do. That's what you did for Paul, the legacy that he left for us because he found joy and peace in the midst of his circumstances and gave hope to others instead of demanding what he wanted be answered by you. Lord, would that be our hearts? Would you help us to trust you? Lord, I pray that if anyone tuning in on the Zoom call or anyone in this room has not surrendered to you, if they have not walked in overjoyed and bowed down to worship you like those Gentile wise men, I pray today be the day they do it and they would surrender and that they would understand what they're surrendering to. That you may not fix all the circumstances of their temporary life, but you promise to fix all of the circumstances for eternity that all people find in the mess of this life. So Lord, we pray for your joy. We pray for your peace. Make your spirit work in us as we respond. Amen.